Welcome to Families Matter Workshop. I'm Dr. Christine Turner. And I'm her daughter, Allison Jones. And we come from a family of dysfunction. This is a podcast for all families. Join us as we discuss family dynamics and provide tools we discovered and used to heal dysfunction in our own family. All it takes is for one family member to choose healthy change in order to improve family dynamics. And if we can heal, so can you. This is Families Matter Workshop. This is episode four of Families Matter Workshop. Today, we're going to be discussing connection and how we are meant for connection. Yeah, this is interesting because I think that um, all of us know that we long for this connection. And yet, oftentimes, it's kind of hard, isn't it, to actually have meaningful connections? Yeah, especially if you deal with any sort of issues with anxiety or depression. A lot of times, those mental health issues can interrupt your relationships and the connections that you seek to have in your everyday life. And, uh, you know, when we look at family dynamics, even, I mean, we should ideally have our connections met through our family relationships. And there's a lot of dysfunction and there's a lot of uh, trauma or uh, people who don't have the tools that they need to really have the connections even in their families that they want. So we're going to talk about that today. Yeah. So what happens, though, if you have these screwed up family dynamics and you're not able to connect with your family members, what's that going to do to someone? Well, I think you're going to feel a lot, a lot of isolation. I think that you're going to kind of have this longing. There's going to be a lot of loneliness and depression, something that I'm pretty familiar with coming from that in my family. Well, what does the Bible say about connection? Well, it says a lot. I mean, we can look at the Adam and Eve were created for connection. Right. Right. And so, and there was fellowship and God didn't lack anything. It's not like God's, I'm all lonely. So I have to create man, but, but that love always wants to expand into connection. And God is love. So he wanted to expand by bringing in Adam and Eve. And and then he created the first family, you know, so first it was God, Adam and Eve in the first family. And I think if you look at the father, son, and the Holy spirit, they're an example of family. And then you have Adam and Eve and their fellowship with God and family. But the scripture that I want to focus on is out of John four, seven, through 12. And it says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then it goes on to say, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I think that the part of the scripture that speaks to me the most is verse 12, where it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And in order to make his love complete in us, we must love one another. So what do you think that complete looks like? I think being able to love each other. And, you know, they say love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, you know. So if we're able to practice that kind of love with each other. God's love is then, I I think of it as like a light, like his light is fully shining through us. Right. And so like we glorify him when we're kind of, you know, because God doesn't come down in person and shake our hand. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if he just did, but the way that he works is that he uses other people to show himself, to show love, to demonstrate that. And if we're all in isolation, how can we be connected, you know, and, and to show this love, And what about like the times where you like, I'm supposed to love like teaching, you know, you have the kid who's really hard to love. And as a Christian, how did that look in your evening hours when you deal with this kid and he's on your last nerve and it's like, I need to be loving this kid. 
Um, and oftentimes those are the kids that need the most love. Right. And so that kind of would drive us to like, look at ourselves that introspection where, okay, I'm, you know, I need this healed. I have some kind of a belief that's not loving, but God, this is not you. And so change me so that I would be more like you. Yeah, I know. And I remember praying before going into work most days, just asking God's love to shine through me because teaching is, in my opinion, the hardest profession out there. Um, you're dealing with issues with children that are really complicated and have only gotten more complicated in the past five years, I would say. And, you know, we're seeing a lot more kids deal with mental health issues. And sometimes it's really hard to love someone who's on your last nerve. Right. And so talk about that for a minute. Like, what do you think has happened like in classrooms and a result of the pandemic and connectedness? Like, have you done any research on that? The World Health Organization has said that there has been an increase of depression and anxiety worldwide by 25%, and that the most impacted populations are young people and women. And so when we break down that 25% increase into young people, I think that it's really important that we address these issues of mental health in our young citizens because they're going to be entering society relatively soon. And if we are not proactive in enabling them with strategies, coping mechanisms, whatever it is to improve their mental health, then I think that we're going to see a shift in our society. That's not going to be for the better. When we look at the data, 37% of high schoolers say that they had issues with mental health during the pandemic. And one of the factors that improves mental health is school connectedness, which is, you know, a student feeling like they belong or that they have a place or a valued or a safe at, at school. And the school connectedness um, decreased depression symptoms in high school students from 53% to 35%. And this is for the ones who feel, who actually feel connected, like that actually like have friends that have, um, teachers that they know, they feel like they're known and that their name is known. I mean, there's, and even then it's still 35%. Right. And that's a third, a third of them feel depression, depression, not connected. Yeah. Worse than just not feeling connected. Yeah. Depression. So, you know, what can we do as a society to make sure that all members of our family are feeling connected and feeling connected in, you know, not only our home, but at school, in church. You know, I think that it's important that we uh, teach our, our young people skills, the skills or interpersonal and intrapersonal skills. Right. And, and, you know, intrapersonal means that knowing yourself kind of like, I know what I'm thinking about and I'm able to kind of trace back, especially negative emotions. I'm feeling sad. Why am I feeling sad? Well, this person gave me a look. I judge this look as, as rejecting me. Okay. And that, is that true? So intrapersonal is where you know about yourself. And um, because this is a Christian point of view, the, the more that we know our identity in Christ the more that we're going to be able to look at ourselves in truth and the more that we're going to know that we have value apart from any kind of rejection. What do you mean by identity in Christ? Well, in each of us are formed in our mother's womb, unique and different. 
And unfortunately, the messages that we get from the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of religion is like, these are the standards that you need to hit so you can have value. And when you know your identity in Christ, you say, this is who I am. You might say, you know what? I'm an artist and I create things or I'm a writer or I am really good at fixing things. And not just that, but you also know, of course, like I'm perfectly loved because Christ loves me. I am I'm perfectly known. I'm perfectly understood. Created in his image. Right. And and living out of like, you know, Jesus is in me. So wherever I go, this is, I mean, it's kind of crazy. It goes wherever I go. Jesus goes because Jesus is in me. I'm a representation of Jesus in this unique suit called 60 year old Chris Turner. That is a reflection of Jesus. And if we could somehow get people to understand who they are in Christ, I think it would cure a lot of this. But when we appreciate ourselves and understand what we need to be happy and how to get it, living out of this identity, we have interpersonal skills and we can grow in this. We can learn. We're always learning this. So and your family, you look to your family members first to be a reflection or a mirror of who am I? You know, you're building that up. So if your family is not reflecting to you this positive image of your Christian identity, right off the bat, you're at a disadvantage. Correct. And I think it's really hard to connect with people who are sending you the message that you have to achieve X, Y, and Z in order to have value. Or to earn love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what what the point of all of this that we're doing. The main idea, if we can get our families to kind of live out of our identity and communicate that to their children, then we have this group of healed people that um, and people that are living out of the kingdom of God who can go forth and, and affect change with the people around them. And one of the scary statistics that I read doing my research for this was that 55% of high school students during the pandemic reported that they felt emotionally abused at home. And they described it as being yelled at, cursed at, or put down by a family member or caregiver. I mean, that's over half. Well, if you think about it, you know, from a person who's experienced trauma, the entire world has gone through this trauma response. Right. And, and the thing about trauma, especially from a kid point of view, is like that you have no control and like you're trapped in a situation and you can't leave it. And that's very traumatizing. And so there's this extra layer, I think, when we when we're talking about mental health and connection and is, I guess, the only solution I have is Jesus, really. But to get us develop skills, interpersonal and intrapersonal skills so that we as individuals are healed and whole and understand what's going on below the surface so we can be in help to this whole traumatized world. Right. And so the intrapersonal skills are your beliefs about yourself, but tell me more about the interpersonal skills that you need in order to have greater connections. Well, they're, they're very connected because once you understand what's going on below the surface of yourself, then you become equipped to see things below the surface in other people. But if you can't even tell the truth to yourself, this is why I'm afraid. This is why I'm lying or hiding or yelling. If we can't even tell the truth to ourselves, then we aren't able to help other people. But once you go through the process of trying to like understand yourself, you're able to understand what other people need and you're able to kind of detach from, boy, you are pissing me off to what need are you trying to get met here? There's something under the surface. And as teachers, we've seen the gamut of behavior 
in children. So we see a child acting out. And I think that teachers have to have the skill of stepping back from the behavior and asking themselves, what was the trigger for the behavior? And a lot of times they're, you know, a kid's not going to be bad because they want to be bad. Right. It's because maybe a need isn't being met. Right. Or an expectation wasn't met. Or else an an identity issue. You know, I feel ashamed. I feel like I'm not worth anything from what you just said. I feel embarrassed. You know, Mm -hmm. that when you get, when your identity thing, you're, you don't have value and and you're not worth understanding when those kind of messages get triggered in the classroom, you're going to get a lot of behavior. And when they get triggered in homes, they're going to have a lot of issues that are going to manifest because of those kinds of connections. So here we have this group of children from the pandemic whose parents are maybe acting inappropriately to get their family to act appropriately. And they're trapped. They can't even go to the, to their friend's house. Right. And and connect in person. And the parents are also trapped in this situation dealing with, you know, maybe they lost a job. Maybe they're having a hard time putting food on the table. So you have all of these environmental stressors that are putting um, strain on the relationships within the family. But we have to look at how this is making our children view relationships and the connections within those relationships. And, you know, one of the scary statistics that is out there now is about school shootings. Yeah. And if we look at the school shooters, a lot of times there are, I would say all the time, there's mental health issues. And the first line of people who are there to maybe recognize this behavior and offer solutions are going to be the teachers and the parents. Right. And so having something in place in schools, in youth groups, resources for parents, there's this guy, Jamie Winship, and if you get a chance to read some of his work, he has a book called Living Fearless, and it, it teaches people how to hear about their identity in Christ, and he's doing this in schools. That's awesome. So, you know, we really want schools to be a safe place for children, and, you know, as Christians, we hope that churches can be a safe place, but I think a lot of times Christians feel like mental health is stigmatized. Yeah, you know, I'll just share a little bit of my personal story. You know, I, of course, I struggle from depression and I've gone through this Christian process of trying to be okay, only to, the, to discover that really like medication is a gift to me. But when I kind of go through this where I want to be seen and I go to churches and I'll go to church and I'll talk to another Christian and I'll tell the truth about what's really going on in my life. I kind of call it being the naked one in the room. And then I'll get like, what do you think I get from a lot of people? Probably like weird looks like you're a weirdo. You're a weirdo or I'll be praying for you. In other words, like you have problems. I don't have problems. My faith works for me. Right. And it can feel really lonely uh, when churches seem to me a little bit sometimes like a club where, you know, all the all the kids who are connected are together. And I guess I'm like in the 33 percent sometimes is how I feel like that. You don't have a connection to church. Yeah. I feel like a weirdo sometimes at church. We have been members of different churches from different denominations throughout my upbringing, where did you feel most at home? Like, what did that environment look like? Gosh, probably crazy, but it would probably be the Presbyterian church before I started trying to be a Christian. 
like before you really tried being like the perfect Christian mom, yeah. the perfect Christian I wife. Mean, and I want to tell you like, this is totally unrehearsed. And I'm absolutely surprised by that answer. Like, yeah. like really where I was just like a normal person. I just, you know, brought cookies to the Sunday school class. Sometimes I would teach Sunday school and I just kind of wasn't really all that interested in the deep things of God. I just kind of went but did you feel like there was a community? Yeah. I mean, you guys went to preschool there. So I was there with all the other preschool moms. So it was kind of my my place. And if we think about our family relationships with other families, a lot of those relationships started and grew from that church. Yes. We have lifelong friends. You know, we don't go to church with them, but we're still lifelong friends from that And church. that church has moved on and is not even that church, that church anymore. Um, but I think the thing that made it a safe place was that there was this sense of community and like welcoming. Yeah. And they didn't really t teach you like, this is the 10 practices about what you need to do to, to be a good Christian. I guess they kind of just assume like you are, you are a Christian and you're already living out of your identity. And so this is, you know, let's just join in fellowship together. It wasn't a deep teaching church. It wasn't, they didn't even do altar calls on Sunday, but I did feel my most sense of community there when I've started to get into like deeper things in Christ. And then I go to churches where people are more spiritual in quotes in quotes. Yeah. Or maybe um, a sense of like the Holy spirit being there passionate. Yeah. More passionate. And, and people talk about the things of God all the time. I have felt more like a foreigner because the faith sometimes that I hear them talking about doesn't work for me. Like, I'm not able just to believe something. And have it be 100%. And have it be manifest in my life. I it's Well, I think, I think that uh, that's not necessarily 100% true. But because I think that God has manifested a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, he has. But for me, the process is more about, God, I don't believe you're good. Like, the people that I work with that I talk to a lot is like, you just got to believe that God is good. And then I go to him and go, I want to believe you're good, but I don't believe you're good. Or I have doubts. I have doubts. Like, I don't know that you're trustworthy. And this is honestly how I am. So if you're good and trustworthy, will you show me that you're good and trustworthy? And I will say that absolutely he does. And I get to where I, I have this deep understanding, but I feel sometimes that like, Maybe those kids in that are disenfranchised in the public school might be more of a tr more like my family's not great and I'm not in the popular and my family can't afford the right sneakers, but they could never say that. So they kind of feel like they're not able to like tell the truth. And if that has anything to do with connection, what do you think? I'm kind of thinking the opposite, that people who do tell the truth tend to be ostracized because sometimes the truth is hard to hear. Yeah. I think too, like your experiences with church is that you'll go in and you want to talk about the hard things, talk about the deep things, and it causes discomfort. Right. And people don't like to be uncomfortable, especially right. in a place where maybe they're just coming for fellowship. 
Right. You know, I have a lot of uh, hindrances, which are like fear of rejection, fear of risk, fear of intimacy. And so my my process kind of comes like, OK, I'm going to go connect. And then and then with the first time that you feel any sort of rejection or the relationship is risky, you yeah. back up and then I back up and I like won't come for a while. And then, OK, you know, I muster up my courage and, you know, you're not doing anybody any good by hiding. And, you know, so I go and I'm going to try again and then I go and your feelings get hurt. My feelings get hurt. So there's kind of this, like, um, I call it intimacy regret. Like I try to be intimate with somebody and then come back. And I, I know that it, like, if I really know my identity in Christ, I should be able to be me, speak truth or not truth and not have it affect me to where I would cut off relationship. Um, but to be honest, I'm not there. I'm not there yet. I'm working. I'm, I'm hoping to get there. Well, I think that you, in order to get there, you really have to build up your intrapersonal skills and build up maybe an appreciation for yourself. And a lot of times people who are struggling with anxiety and depression, I am in that same boat too, is a lot of negative self-talk. Yeah. And so, you know, speaking to yourself as if you were speaking to your child or someone you really love. I look at my son as like, he's just this perfect ball of joy. And I think that he's so smart. And I think that he's so brave. And I sometimes have to remind myself to speak to myself like I'm a child. Because I think that we are always our harshest critics, right? Like, how often do we say like, good try, Chris? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Good try, Allie. That didn't work, but good try. (laughs) I say that to my son. Yeah. A hundred times a day. Yeah. You know, when it comes to connection too, one of the things that I don't tell myself, but I know is true is that not everybody is my people. By that, I mean like this idea that I should connect with everybody. Right. And, you know, I struggle with social anxiety and my circle is pretty tight. I would say I have my couple best friends. I have my family. I have my husband's friends that have become my friends. And I would say that, you know, I get 100% of my connection needs met by my circle. Right. But it's the right size for my introvertedness. Right. I don't know if that's a word, but because I am a true introvert, I find a lot of times relationships are work and it can be exhausting. So I try to surround my people where it doesn't feel like work. Right. And I guess for me, I feel like um, I want to connect more with people. I feel kind of lonely sometimes. And, but I also have this feeling, I get, maybe it comes from being bullied severely in school. Like I was the kind of bully, like they would say, you have cooties. And if you sat by, if anybody sat by me, they would have to spray, be sprayed with imaginary cootie spray because they sat so close to me. It's horrible. It is horrible. And so I think that part of that is just that I want like to win the masses to me and versus just saying, you know what, they're not my people. I mean, the people that really identify most with me have been through some kind of trauma, don't have their life together, and, and they want to talk about it. The people who's, who, who have their life all together and things are going swimmingly for them, I don't usually relate that well to those people. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that fear of being rejected is something that's going to permeate through all of your relationships. Right. To find those safe people that you feel like I can risk intimacy with them 
and not be hurt are few and far between. Right. And maybe I, maybe that's one of the things my discernment, you know, my belief system may be about my role needs healing. This idea that, you know, I should be the first one to talk or I should be the catalyst to bring up deep conversations. And yet I know that when I do, you know, I'm the first person who, who says I'm not okay. The masses might say, I'll be praying for you, but there'll always be that one person that will come secretly to me privately and go, that happened to me too. Or, you know, my, I understand, I understand. Or, or my friend, I have a friend who mentioned that one of her children suffer from mental illness. She shared it in the, in a small group setting and no one re reciprocated, but somebody came back to her and said, my child too. And now, you know, they're able to walk this journey together. And I think too, we can't hold it against other people for not wanting to create intimacy with us. I think that a lot of times we put ourselves in vulnerable positions and divulge, you know, our, our true selves. Right. And I don't, I don't think that everybody deserves to be um, enlightened with that. Right. To, to I, I don't think that everybody deserves to be on that tier. Right. And I guess for me, my perspective has been, I want to call forth the traumatized. I want to call forth the sexually abused and help to bring them to connection for healing after what I've been through. And so I kind of feel called at times to be that person and, but I don't like the repercussions of it. Right. So are you going to continue to be the quote unquote naked one in the room bearing your soul for people? Or do you have to set up some boundaries? I think I'll probably continue being the naked one in the room and, you know, just ask for discernment. I know we've talked a lot about how discernment can be skewed from past trauma, but I think that if it helped one person, it was worth it. And, and getting to that point that it's like, what you think of me has no bearing on my heart and my value and my value and my identity and my identity. If I can, if I can live from that truth, then I can be fearless in my relationships and, and sharing. It's funny because the other day I woke up from a dream. One of my childhood bullies liked me, not like, like, like romantically, but admired me. And I thought it was so cool. And then it kind of like shifted my whole world. I just remember like part of my dream was that there was like a pool party at your house and I was just like dancing and free and you know, like singing and, you know, getting everybody else up to dance. And it was like, there were no barriers because this one person who really like tore me down throughout my childhood admired me. It's kind of just symbolic, I think, of how we can create these connections and love other people. And if we are practicing God's love and loving other people, we don't know what barriers that's going to erase for them. You know, and it's not necessarily our responsibility to heal other people's past traumas. No. But you never know when just a little bit of kindness and showing God's love could change outlook, even just for a couple hours for a person. 
one of the things that I'm learning is the difference between formulatic conversation versus generative conversation. So formulatic is where like, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you for your purchase. Did you find everything you need? And you go through this like polite, civil conversation, like a script, a script that nobody thinks twice about. But let's say that you sit next to an Uber driver. And instead of sitting in the back, you sit in the front and you say, so first of all, they're going to be like, you're sitting in the front. And yeah. you say, so besides driving for Uber, what do you like to do? Now, all of a sudden, we've opened up the door for connection. Yeah. And so like yesterday, I was in Publix and did this thing where I said, here comes the kingdom of God, because I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is coming in to Publix. Watch out, people. Watch out. <laughs> and so to pick up my antidepressant medicine. <laughs> so anyway, watch out. And so when I'm there, I come in and there's a guy and you know, I don't even think twice about it. I'm just kind of being silly. There's a guy who has a broken leg and a broken arm and a scar on his face. And I have had a broken arm and a broken leg and plates and screws. And so I had this whole conversation with him about loneliness and what it's like to heal and that he's going to still be handsome and he's going to be handsome like a pirate with his scar on his face and, and that, um, you know, that he's going to walk be and be strong and that I have my plates and screws and know that it doesn't hurt when it rains. And I just had this whole divine appointment with my new friend, Lee, who has to live with his mom right now from Marietta because he's so hurt from healing from his injury and sitting on the, his front porch and on recliner. And I, yeah, I had to sit on my front porch and it was April. And yeah. Afterwards, I'm like, there went the kingdom of God. There's your connection. Having gener And it was a generative conversation. It wasn't formula. I saw him. First of all, God gave me eyes to see. And I was brave enough to, how are you? Oh my gosh. And have a real conversation. And I think if we want connection, we have to stop and learn how to stop, ha stop having formulatic rote conversations and risk enough to just start a dialogue because Christianity isn't a club of people gathering together, but it's supposed to be about people who are connected in their heart and the fellowship and the fellowship of Christ. So, so what are some tools that we can use to create those connections? Well, I think one of the things is do your, your intrapersonal work, receive God's love every day because we can't give what we don't have. And you know, say, here goes the kingdom of God. Cause God's in me wherever I go. Kingdom yeah, of God. That's powerful. So, so do that work. And then ask the Holy Spirit to make you aware of what's going on and be willing to be the first one to talk. Yeah. Giving up your right to be understood. So giving up your right to be Accepted. liked, liked, to be appreciated, to, to be, be validated. Right. And, and one of the things that happens when we do make that risk and it doesn't seem like it's received is to say out loud, I give up my right to be understood. I'm going to speak anyway, because Jesus, it, Jesus wasn't understood. Give him my right to be accepted. Jesus wasn't accepted. I'm not going to be accepted. Give up my right to be validated. Jesus wasn't validated. And this really help, helps in family dynamics, because they're not going to, we're not going to agree. Especially if you're starting this journey to take steps towards healing. Remember that, you know, the steps have changed. There's, go it's going to get worse before it gets better, because you're shifting the dynamics within your family system. And so being able to give up your rights to be understood, validated, accepted right now will empower you to keep moving forward. Right. Yes. So I hope that you get something out of this, that you can be more connected to God 
And through that, you can be more connected to yourself and then other people, because that's really the cycle. Thank you for listening to Families Matter podcast. Subscribe to our podcast and join us each week as we learn how to talk about hard things without ending family relationships. If you connected with our discussion, you can dive deeper into today's concepts on our website, familiesmatterworkshop.com. Here you will find additional instructions and materials to help you implement and process the tools needed to help heal your family. You can also find Dr. Turner's two books, Beloved from the Start and Families Matter, You Matter. These are available on Amazon. Do you have a relationship issue that seems impossible? We want to hear from you. Email us at familiesmatterworkshop at gmail.com or visit our website, www.familiesmatterworkshop.com. Anonymity will be protected. And remember, all it takes is for one family member to choose healthy change in order to improve family dynamics. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.